You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. So last week, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about the gifts of the Spirit. We talked about the supremacy of love. This morning was going to be our last lesson in the distinctives. You're laughing. And God had different plans for today. Um, you know, we do a schedule, and there's a, there's a reason and a rhyme behind why we do things the way we do them. And as I was praying, yesterday I had an opportunity to teach at um, C4, which is Calvary Chapel, Cherry Creek, and uh, with, with Pastor Matt. And I taught in their men's, their big men's breakfast, and, and I had put a message together for them. And as I was praying over that message, God kept stirring within me that, that that message needs to come to us as well in the church, in our church, in our body. And of course, me being the obedient person I am, I push back because we have a schedule. <clears throat> Needless to say, God always wins. You know, I, I, I worked, it was a busy weekend and I was working on the message yesterday and worked till probably 11.30 last night on it after we got, <clears throat> excuse me, done with the event last night and then I was up this morning at four and back at working on it again and got it finished up, got the message for today finished up at five this morning. And I laid it down and I prayed over it and God said, nope, that's not what you're gonna do. So this morning we're gonna look at his divine providence. God's divine providence is going to be the title of the message today. And it's in this, as we look in God's word, we have to remember that everything that we talk about this morning, everything that we base our lives on, is based on a, on a Christian or a biblical worldview. And that's why I love Calvary chapels in particular. The teaching of God's word, that Christ is at the center, that's the priority. Your worldview affects everything you do, every decision that you make. Worldview is the big picture you get that, that ties everything together. And so this was driving Matt crazy earlier. Had an apple on the podium. He's probably not going to be able to see anything else or hear anything else because there's something distracting on the podium. But there's an apple sitting there. As all of you see that apple, you have a different perspective of that apple, don't you? If you're a botanist, you're going to look at it and you're going to classify it. What kind of apple is that? If you're an artist, well, you're going to do a drawing. You're going to do a still life. You're going to draw that apple. If you're a produce manager, you're going to look at that apple and you go, well, that's inventory. I could sell that apple. If you're a kid, you're looking at the apple like, why can't I just eat it right now? That's lunch. 
It's perspective. How we perceive every situation in life is truly based on how we see the world. And regardless of the way you look at the world, Christian or non-Christian, all of us are going to ask the same questions. Where do we come from? Why are we here? What is wrong with this world? And how can we fix it? Naturalism is prevalent in our world today. A naturalist would answer the questions like this. Where did we come from and why are we here? Well, we are the product of random acts of nature with real, no real purpose at all. Well, what's wrong with the world? Well, we don't respect nature as we should. We need to go hug a tree, I think. How can we fix it? Well, we can save the world through ecology and conservation. A naturalistic worldview generates related philosophies like moral relativism. What you believe to be moral, eh, that's good. It's, it's fine. It's, it's moral for you. Existentialism. You determine your own way. You make your own path. Pragmatism. Whatever works for you, it's good. Just do that. Or utopianism. Believing that a perfect society can be achieved because man has this amazing intellect. Knows all the answers. And now a Christian worldview, though, on the other hand, answers these questions biblically, of course. We are God's creation. We're designed to govern the world and to have fellowship with God, to worship God. What's wrong with the world? Well, we sinned against God, and because of sin... Well, all of mankind is subjected to a curse, to death. How can we fix it? Especially the guys in the room, we know we can fix it. We have duct tape and bailing wire and screws and drills and hammers. We can fix it, right? We can't fix it. God himself redeemed the world through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And one day he's going to restore creation to its former perfect state. Ah. <sighs> I want to be there. A Christian worldview leads us to believe in moral absolutes, miracles, human dignity, the possibility of redemption in God's divine providence, meaning that God is in control of all things. So your worldview affects every area of your life, from money to morality, art to politics, True Christianity is more than just a set of ideas that form a church. Christianity in the Bible is a worldview. It is a lifestyle choice. The Christian life is really the only life that takes you to heaven for eternity. At John 14, 6, Jesus proclaims that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Thus, he, Jesus, is our world view he's our worldview and as we've been discussing it's imperative that, that you know what you believe and why you believe it to be truth and in that i ask you a simple question what are you going to be when you grow up taller, <laughs> taller. <laughs> there's a story of an older couple who had a son that son was still living with them. The parents were a little worried as their son was unable to decide about his future career. So they decided to do a small test. 
They put a note in the front hall table and then they left. And around the note, they put a $10 bill and uh, a Bible and a bottle of whiskey. And then they hid, pretending that they weren't home. And the the father told his wife, if our son takes the money, he's going to be a businessman. If he takes the Bible, he's going to be a pastor. But if he takes the whiskey, well, I'm afraid our son will be a no-good drunkard. So the parents hid in a nearby closet and waited nervously, peeping through the keyhole as they saw their son arrive home. The son read the note that they had left. He took the $10 bill and held it up to the light folded it, put it in his pocket. Then he took the Bible and flipped through it and put it under his arm. Finally, he grabbed the bottle of whiskey. He opened it, took an appreciative whiff to assure the quality, and then he left for his room, carrying all three items. The father slapped his forehead and said, this is worse than I could have ever imagined. What, asked the wife. He answered, our son is going to be a politician. Choices we make, things that we do. What are you going to be when you grow up? Your journey is part of your story. If you're in this room this morning, or you're watching online this morning, or you're listening to this message on the radio, it means that your story is continuing. You woke up this morning, you took oxygen into your lungs, you took that breath. That means that God's not done with you, there is still purpose. For your life. God has been and continues to prepare you for all he has prepared for you. So what are you going to be when you grow up, when you surrender all of your life to him and you prayerfully mature in Christ? It's all connected to God's divine providence. My personal story is 54 years long. It speaks of God's protection direction, timing, and deliverance. There are good times. There's bad times. It's laughter and some tears, some blood and some sweat, some times of healing, times of refreshing. The sooner that that we can grasp the concept of God's providence, the sooner that we're going to stop fighting against the goads, so to speak, of what God is doing, and you would think that we would learn sooner in life, but, but we're a stubborn creation, aren't we? In my journey, in my story, it's involved some suffering as well. Some personal choices caused some suffering. Anybody have those where you made some personal choices and it caused you to suffer? But then there were some things that I had no control over. And most of you know, most of you heard portions of our story of Pam and I and kind of my testimony, and and some of that is what's tying into today's message. For whatever reason that God is stirring this message, for whoever it is that needs to hear this message this morning, my, my prayer is that your ears are attentive and that your heart is ready to receive. See, some of those things are out of control. Those last few years that involved Pam and, and suffering through two different types of cancer. Within that, as a man, how, how deep do I love my wife? I would say the same for you. How deeply do you love your spouse? It's 
got to be more than a physical attraction. But that's another message for another time. I learned through her suffering how to suffer well with eyes on God. She's the one that coined the phrase that I close with every service now. May your faith be seen and God be glorified in all that you do. I'm going to come back to her story in a minute. But looking at God's divine providence, it's the way that God governs his creation with with wisdom and justice, with, with love. He directs all things in the universe. Everything. He is sovereign over the universe as a whole. Psalms 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. He is sovereign over the physical world. Matthew 5, 45. So that you may be, may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain to the righteous and to the unrighteous. He is sovereign over the affairs of nations. Psalm 66, 7. He rules by his might. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. He's sovereign over human destiny. Galatians 1, 15. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, he called me through his grace and was pleased. He's sovereign over human successes and failures. Luke 1.52 He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He's sovereign over the protection of his people. Psalms 4.8 this, this is a psalm that, that many of you in this room, if not all of us, need to memorize and quote before we go to bed at night. Psalms 4.8 In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So this doctrine of divine providence stands in direct opposition to the idea that the universe is governed by chance or fate or that the universe is listening to you and really cares. And as I told you a few weeks ago, one of my dear friends gets up every day and talks to the universe. And this is increasing in people's lives around us. It's, in, it's through divine providence of God that he accomplishes his will. He will carry out his will using the righteous and the unrighteous as he governs the affairs of men and women in our world. As he works through the natural order of things. The laws of nature are nothing more than God's work in the universe. The laws of nature have no inherent power. Rather, they're principles that God has created and set in place to govern how things normally work. I love seeing the trees grow in the springtime, right? And the leaves come out. That intelligent design piece of creation. God set those laws in motion. It's part of creation. Listen, these are only laws because God has decreed them. How does divine providence and human volition, that is, how does divine providence and free will work? We all know that we have free will. We also know that God is sovereign. 
It's hard for us to wrap our heads around how this works. Uh, listen to what, what Saul has to say in Acts 26.14. When we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Saul of Tarsus was willingly, willfully persecuting the church. All the while, he's kicking against the goads of God's providence. We have to know and understand that, that God hates sin. He's not the author of sin. He does not tempt anyone, nor does he condone sin. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. However, even though he does not condone sin, at the same time, God obviously allows a certain measure of sin. It's all around us, isn't it? It's everywhere that we look. He must have a reason for allowing it temporarily, even though he hates it. Another great example of divine providence in the Bible is the story of Joseph. God preserved Joseph's life, yet he allowed him to be kidnapped allowed him to be sold into slavery all by his own brothers. And those brothers, well, they lied to their father for years about what happened. And in the midst, though, of this man-made mess, God was working. He used their sin to prepare Joseph and his people for the greater good. Joseph's 13-year journey took him to Egypt. God was preparing him for 13 years for all that he had prepared for him. He became prime minister of all Egypt, second in command. And Joseph then used the favor of the Lord and the wisdom that God gave him to sustain the people of the region for seven years, which included his own family, God's chosen people safe to say that if Joseph had not been in Egypt at that very time, that millions of people, including his own family, may very well have died. How did God get Joseph to Egypt? He providentially allowed his brothers the freedom to sin. God's divine providence is directly acknowledged in Genesis 50 after his father Jacob died. The brothers got nervous thinking that revenge and judgment were coming from Joseph. Genesis 50, starting with verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for the wrong that we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before you. He said, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of your servants of, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brother, brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. 
So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We're the ones that need to keep proper perspective in every situation. We're the ones that get inside of our heads and, and we overthink about overthinking and, and we go down rabbit trails that we shouldn't go down. Am I in God's place? What was meant for evil, God meant for good. Here's the deal. God can and will be glorified in all circumstances. As we read this story of Joseph, we could read the whole story in, in just a few minutes. And then we struggle with that, don't we? We were just, we read it, we're like, okay, God moved and did this thing, and okay, it's done. And, and we kind of translate that over into our own lives. We're like, okay, God, here's my request. Why don't I have the answer yet? Where are you at? You're not hearing me. God's timing. God's plan. So the question for you is, can you do a Psalms 46.10 and be still and know that he is God? Regardless of the circumstance, be still. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be still. Wait on his timing. Wait on his provision. Wait for him to complete the work that he has started in you before you move to that next thing. Slow down. Continue to walk steadfastly. Complete what you started. Allow God to direct you. Allow him to correct you. Allow him to bring healing into your life as you simply walk with your eyes fixed on him. Make sure you pause before you jump. Sometimes we get bored, don't we? We get bored, like, eh, what am I doing? I need to do something. And then we jump into something that we probably shouldn't have. It's a balancing act that requires us to be in his word, in prayer, in meditation on a daily basis, to be in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in the Lord, to be about our Father's business, to simply serve Him wherever we can as we're living our life. Lord, how may I serve you? How about another example? Anyone recognize the name Judas Iscariot? We all know who Judas is. God allowed Judas to lie, to cheat, to deceive, steal, ultimately to betray Jesus, delivering him to the hands of the enemy. Wickedness on steroids. And of course, God was displeased with sinfulness. However, happening at the same time of Judas's plotting and deception, it turned out to be for the good because of what was about to happen. The, the salvation of mankind was extended. The new covenant was to be established. In order for God's plan to unfold, Jesus needed to die at the hands of the Roman soldiers so that he would be the sacrifice for all sin. If he didn't, we would all still be in sin. It would be the old covenant I'd be sacrificing animals. I don't want to do that. It's not the same as hunting. I'm glad Jesus came and went to the cross. 
Thank God for Jesus. It's in this process of God's divine providence that we have to remember Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, God does not require us to understand his will just to obey it, even if it seems wildly unreasonable. Even when we don't comprehend what the Lord is doing in our lives, he wants us to trust him. His wisdom and perspective are far greater than our own. And even when we can't discern his methods or his timing, we must trust in him because his way is best. Trust, have faith, lean all in. How did Jesus get to the cross? In divine providence, God gave Judas the freedom to perform a series of sinful and wicked acts. Jesus plainly states this in Luke 22, 22, for indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. So we note that Jesus teaches both the sovereignty of God, the Son of Man will go as it has been determined, and the responsibility of man. Woe to the man who betrays. There's a balance there, a a balance that is controlled by God. Divine providence is also seen in Romans 8, 28, for we know that God causes all things to work good to, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, if we were to look at that word in the Greek, what do you think the word all means? All. We went really deep theologically there, didn't we? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. God is never out of control. We look at the chaos that's going on in our world. We can even, if we're a believer and we have faith in God, we can, we can kind of get doubtful ourselves, can't we? We can kind of not understand and get distracted because like, well, why can, how's that happening in Afghanistan? What's going on in Israel and what's happening in our own country? And look what's happening in Washington and look what happened in my state and my city and look what's going on in my family. God is never out of control. Satan can do his worst, yet the evil that is tearing the world apart, God is working towards a greater and final purpose. And we struggle because we can't see it yet. We know, though, that God allows things to happen for a reason. That he has a plan. And that his plan is good. It's got to be frustrating for Satan. No matter what he does, he finds that his plans are thwarted and something good happens in the end. As I was preparing this this week, I was reminded, like taken back to Columbine, right, our first school shooting really in the nation that was that big. And I know where I was standing when, when the news came in, and I remember that, just that memory flooded back, and, and what a terrible, terrible thing to happen in our schools where our kids are supposed to be safe. But then I remember the news coverage 
and pastors out praying with kids in the park. And I remember that memorial service after memorial service where the pastors were giving altar calls and kids were coming forward and giving their lives to the Lord. Something that was so wicked, yet God used that even for good. The doctrine of divine providence could be summarized this way. God in eternity past, in the counsel of his own will, ordained everything that will happen. Yet in no sense is God the author of sin, nor is human responsibility removed. And the primary means by which God accomplishes his will is through those secondary causes, right? The law of nature and human choice. In other words, God usually works indirectly to accomplish his will. But there are times that he will work directly in a situation to accomplish his will. These performed works are identified as miracles, right? That's how we describe them. How did that person get healed from that cancer? How did, how did their arm get healed? What did this situation get answered like that? It's against what happens in nature, and that is a miracle. God circumvents the natural order of creation momentarily to accomplish his will in and through any given situation. And we already mentioned Saul earlier. And we see in Acts 9 that blazing bright light that literally knocked Saul off of his high horse. That was an example of God's direct intervention. And then later in Acts 16, 7, after Saul's conversion, we see Paul. The Holy Spirit frustrated the plans of Paul to go to Bithynia. Another example of God's indirect guidance. That both are examples of God's divine providence at work. God is in control. Some people push back and they say that the concept of God directly and indirectly controlling all things destroys the aspect of free will. So if God is in complete control, how can we truly have free will and make free decisions? They would say... For free will to be meaningful, there must be some things that lie outside of God's sovereign control, like the contingency of human choice. So, let's say, for argument's sake, let's say uh, that's true. What then? If God is not in complete control of all contingencies, then how could he guarantee our salvation? Paul says in Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, God is always faithful to finish what he begins. And he does it in, in a way that's above and beyond all we can ask or imagine. Never underestimate what he will continue to do through your faithfulness, even long after you've completed your obedient service to him. If God is not in control of all things, then this promise and all other divine promises are in doubt. If the future does not belong completely to God and we do not have complete security that our salvation will be made complete, if God is not in control of all things, then he's not sovereign. And if he's not sovereign, well, then he's not God. So the price of maintaining contingencies outside of God's control results in a belief that God is not really God. If our free will can trump divine providence, then who ultimately is God? 
Well, that would make us God. And that conclusion is unacceptable to, to anyone who has belief and faith in Christ and belief and faith in God and belief in what, what God's Word says. It has that biblical worldview. That's unacceptable to genuine followers of Christ. You see, divine providence does not destroy our freedom. Rather, divine providence takes our freedom into account and in the infinite wisdom of God sets a course to fulfill God's will. So then how does divine providence work today in our lives? Like I said at the beginning, my story is 54 years long. Some of you know the story. Some of you know bits and pieces. But when I was born... I'm just kidding. I'm not going back that far. I grew up in a pseudo-Christian home. Didn't have a chance to talk to my mom about the message this morning, so I love you, Mom. I had a mother who was a Christian who loved the Lord and a father who abused drugs and alcohol and women. As a kid, I remember the fights and the arguments. I remember her life being threatened. I remember picking him up from work and having to scoop him into the back of the car because he was too drunk to stand. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by His Holy Spirit. He was an amazing man, though. He could have one foot in church and one foot in the world, and everybody at church... They would never know. Three-piece suit. He could sing, How great thou art, with the best of you. People were deceived. I always said I wouldn't be like him. I struggled. Struggled as a teenager. Struggled with promiscuity, pot, alcohol. I, I was doing the things that my father had showed me. I could keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world. I looked good, too, in the church. I didn't wear a suit. That's too constricting. But I could look like I was doing the right thing. I could look like a Christian. Got married, had a son. The drinking increased. And I never raised a hand against Pam or Brandon. They'll testify to that. But I got to the selfish point that I wanted a divorce. I was ready to leave my wife and son behind because I wanted my own thing. I pushed God aside at the same time. But God, the Holy Spirit and a Christian brother that wouldn't give up on me, and, and somehow I'm not sure how he knew what bar I was in in Fort Collins, but he called the bar and asked for me, told me to come home, told me about God's grace and mercy, and we went back and forth for a little while and like, ah, I can't do that. No, I've, I've pushed God too far away. I'm not. And the Holy Spirit began to move. God's grace was extended to me regardless of what I had done. And I, I came back that night, slept on the floor of his town home. Pam was sleeping on the couch right above me. Went to church the next day. I hit my knees in complete surrender. I don't remember the whole message. 
But I do remember that James 4, 6 through 10 was part of it. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up. I surrendered all to God. I truly repented and I believed. It was a two-step program for me because when my knees hit the floor and I surrendered to the Lord, he took that desire for alcohol away. Immediately, it was gone. And I had other things to work on, some things that are still in a work in progress today, but, but isn't that our Christian walk? We continually work at keeping the flesh at bay and staying focused on Christ. One thing I know that that desire for alcohol was gone. I began to rebuild my marriage. I began to learn from other godly men what it meant to, to be a genuine follower of Christ, a godly husband, a godly father, a godly business owner. And that's the importance of, of when we get together and have fellowship is to know that we're not. I always tell you, hey, we're not doing life alone. And we all kind of look around at each other and wave and smile. But no, Really? There are men and women of God in this room that can help you, that can walk with you through things, who have gone through some heavy stuff, come out on the other side with hope and with strength. That's what I leaned on. That's what God brought to me so I could grow. The Holy Spirit uses men and women of God, those that he brings right around us, to bring strength. And just so you know, it, it took Pam two or three years uh, of me being consistent in my faith and me being consistent in, in my walk with the Lord before she truly could, could say, okay, we got this. We have to be consistent. We have to hold steady. And there needs to be fruit. In that process of life and our journey, how many of you have made these boneheaded decisions? I, I appreciate your honesty. Appreciate your honesty. Even if it's a godly opportunity. Like it's God, I mean, we can make boneheaded decisions that are godly too, can't we? Like it could be a good thing, but maybe it wasn't the thing you were supposed to do. And I've told you before, I, I did that. I stepped out and I was going to be a volunteer missions and outreach pastor uh, at a church plant. That was the worst experience of my life in ministry. I never prayed about it. I just jumped in because who wouldn't want to go plant a church? I mean, that's a good thing. Let's just go plant a church. It went sideways. It was terrible. <laughs> I blamed God. I blamed God. I'll never be in ministry again. And as you see how that worked. All part of God's providence. So that stuff's going on. We don't know where we're going, which direction to go to. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. I stumbled across 89.7 Grace FM, and I heard this guy, Ed Taylor. Hey, he's teaching the Bible. That's pretty good. Then I heard this guy, Greg Laurie. Oh, he's funny, too, and, and he's good. He's teaching God's Word. Then I heard this young guy, Nate Morris, whose church just happened to be down the street from my house. 
I'd never heard of Calvary Chapel before. I wasn't saved with a surfboard in my hand. I wasn't even from California, and as you know, I don't like In-N-Out burgers. Um, and as we're teaching on the distinctives, Chuck who? I had no idea. We visited Pastor Nate's church, Calvary Belmar at the time, and Pam and I are sitting in the front row, and this guy comes up on the platform, and he looks like he's 12. And Pam and I look at each other and we're like, oh, can we have a 12-year-old be our pastor? And then we looked around, and everybody's really young in that place, and all of a sudden I realized that Pam and I were the oldest ones in the room. Outside of Dwight. Dwight's older. I know you're watching, Dwight. I love you. We started attending with no intention to be involved in ministry, and a few months into us attending, Pam was diagnosed with stage three aggressive breast cancer. And immediately my response again, because I'm such a mature Christian, God, why'd you give that to her? Should have given it to me. She doesn't deserve that. And then she turns around and says, well, I guess we get to see how strong my faith is. And can God be glorified through this? Ah! schooled by my wife in the midst of all this God is bringing healing to us in ministry and we're slowly engaging and and she has surgery double mastectomy chemotherapy radiation reconstructive surgeries and after that reconstructive surgery at the, the last one she's not recovering well they ran blood work at our doctor he didn't like it sent us to the oncologist they ran blood work had us come back we ran more blood work they didn't like what they saw and sent us to the hospital for a bone marrow biopsy to the diagnosis of acute myeloid leukemia. One of the chemotherapies, and I know which one it was, is a pink tube of stuff they gave her that, that eradicated the breast cancer, had a 0.04% chance of causing acute myeloid leukemia. On December 20th, 2016, she was diagnosed. By Christmas Eve, she was in ICU fighting for her life. 38 days in the hospital that first time. The following chemo and prep for stem cell transplant fast forwards us to April 12th. She received her stem cells on April 12th. A Polish young man, that's why I say I'm always waiting for my kielbasa. She just hasn't gotten that part of the DNA strand going yet. She received her stem cells. We weren't sure if she was gonna survive that process. Still didn't know if she was going to live and if it was going to work. And in the process of both of those, those cancers, God was moving and working, and I saw God move and work in this church in ways that I had never seen. People that were rising up and rallying around us and, and lifting our arms and walking with us and praying with us and planting flowers that are in the front of our house and, and even paying some of our bills, bringing food. I watched the body of Christ. Do what the body of Christ is supposed to do. And that brought even more healing. It solidified what God was doing and that calling on my life. And Pastor Nate was offered the, the senior pastor position at Calvary Chapel Vale Valley, now Mountain Life. I, I knew of the offer and had been praying with him. And I told Nate, we're going to support you. We, man, whoever God's going to bring in here, we, we're going to walk with you through transition. And we're just going to, that's our church, man. We're not going anywhere. So we kept walking, and I filled in for Nate. I think it was the 30th of April, and uh, he was filling in for Eric Cartier down in Colorado Springs. And those two services, man, it was just, it, the Holy Spirit was there. God was moving. It was exciting. 
I got done. I was just fired up. It was fun. It's always fun when you can take six months to put a message together. On the way home, Nate called me to see how it went. And as we talked, he said he knew that where Pam and I were in life and what was going on, but the Holy Spirit kept prompting him that I should be the one that takes the church. And as he said it, I knew it in my heart, not here. That doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Called Pam. We went and sat in the hospital room with her and hooked up to all kinds of stuff. And we prayed and talked. And she just kind of leans over the edge of the bed and says, you know you're supposed to do this. You know you're supposed to be in ministry full-time. Three weeks after that conversation is when I stepped behind the pulpit. That was four years ago. Pam and I, amen. Pam and I celebrated 34 years of marriage this last May. Through the whole process, amen. Through that whole process, she never got sick like a lot of the other patients did. God had his hand on her. There were still rough times and things were, were a struggle, but God's hand was definitely on her. The breast cancer and the leukemia are gone. There's no sign of them. She has, we have an appointment this Wednesday for her follow-up, which we do every quarter. Her, her blood work is normal. Her immune system is normal. Her heart was damaged from all the chemotherapy and the medication. They said it would never recover. It's normal. It's normal. God's hand. God's divine providence and direction. Now, is that the path we, we would have chose? No. Look at Joseph. Wouldn't it have been easier for Joseph just to get a horse and <laughs> ride to Egypt? Wouldn't it be a more direct path? So what does God's divine providence look like? It looks like the life of Joseph. It looks like the life of Judas and Saul who became Paul. It looks like the life of Scott and Pam. It looks like the life of Earl or Chevy or Keon and Nancy. It looks like our life. God's divine providence. God has been and continues to prepare you for everything that he has for you to do. Little did I know, 29 years ago, when my knees hit that floor, that I would stand as a senior pastor in a church one day. Wasn't my plan. But the prayer was, God, how may I serve you? It's not an easy journey. There's nights that I would go home alone and, and just sit there with the dog on the kitchen floor and just cry and cry out to God. Why aren't you hearing my prayers? What are you doing? I don't understand. And each time it would be answered. Sometimes by the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit. I've got this. Hold steady. Keep walking. Is God even hearing my prayers? I hadn't been working. I just started my business back up, and then all this stuff happened. So I was unemployed, basically. And uh, God met every single need we had. And I started working, and, and I, I do interior trim and custom cabinetry stuff, And but then all of a sudden, I'm getting all these tile jobs. Somebody saw some tile backsplash I did in one house, and pretty soon, I'm like, I had like eight tile jobs in a row. And one was in Aurora. Nobody likes to drive to Aurora especially me. There's no straight way. 
And so I battled back and forth with the Lord about this, and it was a referral from one of our brothers here in the church that, that uh, works with granite. So finally I go and I bid the job and I get it. And so in that process, I'm sharing with her what's going on with Pam, and, but there's still hope and there's still the joy of the Lord that is part of who I am. So then she began to share with me that a few weeks before, she's working out with her father and he dropped dead right in front of her and she couldn't revive him. And she was struggling. And, and we talked back and forth for the next couple of weeks and I just kept sharing a little bit of hope here and there with her. And, and one day she just stops me and she's like, I want that. Like, you want what? That hope that you have. How do I get that? Oh, okay. And I led her to the Lord in the dining room. God's providence, God's plan. It's all around us. Are we observant of, of who God brings in our lives? With her, it didn't stop there. We get done praying. She gives her life to the Lord. And she said, okay, tomorrow we're about to drop $25,000. We're going to do in vitro fertilization because we can't get pregnant. We can't have babies. She said, would you just pray what, for God's will to be done in our life? I said, sure. You just got to surrender it all to him. And, and, and you guys pray together as well. I said, okay. And so I just prayed with her. Not a flippant prayer, not, but just, hey, Lord, you know what they need. You know where they're at. Help them to surrender it all to you. And God, if you want them to have a baby, would you just bless them? End of prayer. Five weeks later, I'm on the floor with my dog in one of those moments of, God, you're not hearing my prayers. Where are you at? What's going on? And I get two text messages, two different pictures, because she did a pregnancy test twice, and said, look, look, look. I'm like, oh, cool, so you did in vitro fertilization, huh? No. We sat down and prayed at the table, and we talked about it. We just said, you know, we're not going forward with anything else. The doctors are saying if God wants to do this, then he's going to have to be the one that does it. Just look what God did. Okay, so God's not answering my prayers. Pam's still sick. Oh, wait, no, God is answering my prayers. Oh, right, we don't always understand. God answers our prayers. He meets us at that point of need. God is using whatever you are going through right now to prepare you for everything that is ahead of you. That little quick snippet I gave you of that journey that we had and, and that I've gone through and, and that we've gone through together, that, that's, just a, that's just a glimpse of, of God's divine providence and Him putting us where He wants us to be to bring glory and honor to Him. If you've surrendered your life to the Lord and you're striving to abide in Him, you're going to have success because you're going to live in God's favor because you're operating in God's will. You've heard me say it before, God will indeed answer every prayer that you pray. Just be prepared for that answer because it may not be what you think. He will answer you. If Pam had not gone through both cancers as she did, and I would never wish that on her in a million years. If she hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be standing here. Part of God's providence. I don't understand his thoughts and his ways. It's higher than me. But God's providence. The stuff that you're going through right now, maybe you're thinking that it's never going to end. Or maybe you just came through that trying time, but you're wondering, well, what was the purpose of that? What a waste of time. 
I challenge you to keep your, yourself in a heart of surrender and servitude. It's okay to say to God, I don't know, I don't understand what you're doing. I need your help. Stay focused on him. Keep the faith. Everything about my life is based on my faith in God and what God has done. I don't just have a biblical worldview. I live a biblical worldview. Can you state the same thing? Can you state that you live a biblical worldview? I do so now with even greater understanding of my life choices today and of God's divine providence and the fact that God is in control even when we struggle and we think that he's not. It's really when it does come into play when we say, may our faith be seen and may God truly be glorified in everything we do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for this day. I thank you for your divine providence, for your grace and for your mercy, for your love for us. I thank you that you are in control and that you have a purpose and, and a plan in, in the path that we've been taking in those times where we feel we've, we've wandered out or away from that, God. You have purpose even in that and you pick us up right at that point. As you truly are preparing us for all that you have prepared for us. We thank you that you've sent the Holy Spirit to assist us. God, I thank you that we're on this planet in this season. God, so many times, probably many of us, if not all of us in this room, have cried out to you and said, just come, will you? Just come. Get us out of this COVID mess. Get us out of the, the political turmoil and the mess that's happening in our world. But Lord, we're asking that you would use us because you have us here. We thank you that what the enemy has meant for evil, you use it for good. And you do it in such a way that it will bring glory to your name. So Lord, even when we don't understand what you're doing, help us be obedient. Help us to trust in your wisdom, your direction, and your provision because you truly do know what's best for us. I thank you that you are faithful to finish what you have started. And Lord, you have begun a work in each one of these men and women's lives. And you will see it to completion. So Lord, help them to hold steady with their eyes on you. Maybe you're in this room and you're listening online and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord. You can feel the, the tugging of the Holy Spirit right now. Everything we do, everything we talk about in the church and in ministry is about surrendering our lives to God, about restoring that relationship with Him. The simplicity of the Bible message and the gospel message is that we are to repent and believe, to ask for forgiveness of our sins, and to believe that Jesus rose again. God sent his son to the earth to die on that cross, to shed his blood for you and I, went to the grave and rose again. 
He's in heaven now with the Father, which means that we can truly repent and restore that relationship. the book of Romans it says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved so if that's you this morning if you're hearing this you're feeling that tug you want to know and understand why you've gone through the things in your life the way they have and you need to know that those things that you've done or struggled with are not a waste God will use that to bring glory to him but to bring glory to him it starts with you surrendering your life completely and totally so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning and you would say, Scott, I need that hope of salvation, I'm going to ask you to say a little prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to pray this. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me and I believe that you're alive today. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life and be Lord of my life. And I will follow you the rest of my day. thank you for your divine providence in my life that has brought me to this point. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me to share the hope that I have with others. In Jesus' name, amen. In this room, uh, reach out to me, let me know so I can pray with you and talk to you. If you prayed online or on the radio, Reach out, Scott at foothillscalvary.org, and I'll reach out to you. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.